Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Addiction Treatments That Work. I'm your host, Kenneth Anderson. Tonight, our guest is Pat Taylor, who is the Executive Director of Faces and Voices of Recovery. Before we start the show, I'm going to do a little blurb for our website and our book. Our website is hamsnetwork.org. We are a free-of-charge, lay-led support group for anyone who wants to make any positive change in their drinking habits, from safer drinking to reduced drinking to quitting altogether. And our book is called How to Change Your Drinking, A Harm Reduction Guide to Alcohol. It's available from Amazon. For more information, go to hamsnetwork.org slash book. And tonight, it is, it is, I'm forgetting the month. It's March 21st of 2013. And our guest is Pat Taylor. She's right with us. How are you doing this evening, Pat? Great. Thanks so much for having me on the show, Ken. Well, thanks for coming. Tell us a little bit about Faces and Voices of Recovery. What is this? Well, we're a national organization of people in recovery, family members, friends, and allies. Uh, We were founded a little over 10 years ago in St. Paul, Minnesota, when uh, folks came together and realized that there wasn't uh, an organized constituency uh, advocating on behalf of recovery. So um, we've grown to over... 30,000 members all across the country and actually the world. Um, And about a year ago, we set up something called the Association of Recovery Community Organizations because in addition to individuals, as people got organized, they set up what we call recovery community organizations around the country. And there's a growing network. There's about 80 of them who belong to this new association. So all, all of us collectively are working to uh, put a face and voice on recovery to let people know that it's possible to get well um, and to advocate on behalf of policies that support recovery as well as to fight against uh, discriminatory policies that are real barriers to people with criminal justice history in particular. And in many cases, these groups around the country have uh, are providing peer recovery support services. There's a growing network of what we call recovery community centers, which are kind of like senior centers where uh, people come together in a physical place to uh, offer support, uh, to provide services, and to advocate from. So in a nutshell, that's kind of who we are. Uh, So how did you get involved with this movement? Well, the way I got involved was um, for many years I worked at a place called the Center for Science and the Public Interest where uh, I ran their alcohol policies project and did a lot of work around uh, advertising uh, and kind of the role of the alcohol beverage industry, uh, worked to get warning labels on alcohol beverage containers, and we were unsuccessful, but trying to do more about alcohol advertising, uh, especially uh, targeted to communities of color, and um, that was kind of my first engagement with this whole larger community, and um, I've always been a community organizer, citizen advocate, and uh, when there was an opportunity to come to Faces and Voices of Recovery, um, I took it, and it's, um, I've been there about 10 years now. My own background is in terms of uh, loved ones and family members, too many of who have died because of addiction-related issues, so I'm, I'm part of the family members, friends, and allies part of Faces and Voices of Recovery. Okay. Um, you mentioned warning labels on alcoholic beverages. So that was uh, for federal warning labels? Yeah, that's right. So that was in the 90s. We got warning labels on alcoholic beverages, uh, especially concerned about women who were drinking during pregnancy. 
And um, we also work really hard to raise the excise tax on uh, alcoholic beverages and um, we're moderately successful in terms of getting a slight increase in the beer tax. Okay, and you mentioned uh, the uh, friends and family part of the of the organization. Well, it's an organization and it's a website, both. So tell us a little bit more about this. Um, our, we're we're uh, a nonprofit, and so we have a board of directors who guide our work and. The board is composed of people in recovery and family members, and um, so we do a, a number of things. We do advocacy at the federal level, um, for example, you know, working uh, in terms of the Affordable Care Act so that um, there will be a, as robust possible a benefit, and also that to encourage, and we'll be working to enroll people in health reform starting October the 1st. Um, we are also... Uh, working to fight these new laws that are coming back before this new Congress to uh, require drug testing for public benefits to oppose any kind of legislation like that. So we're, we have a voice in Washington, D.C., and we also do trainings with groups all across the country. So we have uh, a training called the Science of Addiction and Recovery that we bring to recovery community organizations and the broader community to talk about the science behind addiction and recovery because that really is our focus, that people can and do get well. Um, and we also have a training called Our Stories Have Power, which is a way for people in recovery and family members to talk about their experiences because um, one thing that we found, we did some public opinion research, oh, five or six years ago, and realized that there was uh, there was language that um, people in the recovery community were using to talk about their circumstances and situations um, that the general public didn't uh, necessarily understand. So uh, one of our uh, activities in terms of educating the public and the media about the reality of recovery is uh, training advocates to speak both uh, in terms of you know, congressional hearings or state hearing or what have you, but also to talk in the media about the fact that people can and do get well. So we do that kind of training also, and then we provide uh, support to this growing network of recovery community organizations across the country. Do you collect uh, stories for online or elsewhere? We do, as a matter of fact. So uh, you can go on our website, and I think it's called Our Stories, and um, people send in written stories as well as um, uh, videos talking about their recovery and their experiences as people in recovery or family members. Okay. Now, I want to move on to some other topics about, you know, where would harm reduction fit into all of this? And, you know, I'm kind of a big advocate of the more mainstream people and the harm reduction people trying to get together and work together and see what we have in common and if we can share something. So I kind of like to mix people up together. But, I do too. Uh, yeah, I'm really with you on that. You know, I think that um, these two movements are really important movements in our country and I, I really do think that there's a lot that we share in terms of, you know, wanting everyone to have as good quality of life as possible, I guess, is where I would start on that. In terms of a shared, I think that's a shared value. I hope it's a shared value. I hope so. 
well, one thing I wanted to ask you about, um, when we saw uh, NISARC, the National Epidemiological Study of Alcohol-Related Conditions, and uh, the NIAAA published an article not so long ago, 2009, called Alcoholism Isn't What It Used to Be, which everybody can access online. Um, and they they gave some really interesting and kind of startling conclusions. And one of them was one of them was that 75% of people with alcohol dependence recover, and that half of the people that recover do so by cutting back and half by quitting. So is there a place for people who you know recover by cutting back on their alcohol use as opposed to quitting entirely? Well, I think there really is, and one of you know one of the interesting, um, in addition to the NISARC data, if you look at the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, which is on the um, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration website, they do uh, like an annual report. I mean, in in that they talk about you know over half of the people who you know get well get into recovery don't have any kind of formal uh, you know clinical intervention, and that's really an important part of of what we talk about at Faces and Voices of Recovery, which is that there are many ways that people can find recovery. Um, and, you know, the vast majority of people do it without uh, clinical treatment. But, and one of the, the things that I, I'm really excited about in terms of what's happening in communities across the country is that people are coming together to um, support one another, you know, both seeking recovery and in their recovery. And that's really what these recovery community centers are all about. So it doesn't matter really, you know, in, on some very, you know, it doesn't really matter how people find recovery, but how can we support people on this path to wellness? And so this uh, growing network of organizations and recovery supports are for people regardless of, you know, how they're getting well. So that, you know, if you stop using on your own, you may still face barriers in terms of getting your life back together. So that, and I think this is also where I see commonalities. So if people mm -hmm. have a criminal justice history, you know, because of what was happening while they were using, that we all want to make sure that, you know, you can find housing, you can get a job, uh, and all and all of those important parts of, you know, leading a full life. And so coming together to address those kinds of issues I think is really, really important, kind of regardless of how people, you know, are working to get well. Yeah, we've talked a lot on the show about spontaneous remission, as it's called sometimes, or natural recovery, or maturing uh -huh. out of substance abuse. It's been a big topic on many of our shows, and I think right. one of the really important things to do is to support people in this process and to help speed the process up. Oh, absolutely. You know, so we have a PowerPoint that we use that we talk about, you know, the many pathways to recovery, and right off the top of, you know, the list is natural and on your own. So that is that is really one of the important ways that so many people are getting well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some years ago, a decade ago, you know, very often, you know, people would hear there's only one way to do it. There is, well, the 12-step the way is the only way, and if you don't do that, you're going to die, you know. And that's just that was very problematic to a lot of people. Absolutely, and and I think that's what's exciting about where we are today and where I see us, you know, going in the future is uh, a greater understanding like that with 
like with so many other health conditions, you know, it's uh, you know that there are a lot of ways that people can get well, and I think it's our responsibility to let people, you know, know what they are, you know, and it's that if one doesn't work for you, then the good news is there's something else that you can try, you know, so that it's not, you know, how I got into recovery is how you're going to have to get into recovery, and I really do see a dramatic change in terms of. Uh, how people are thinking about that. And just as, a, as an example, at a number of these recovery community centers around the country, people are, uh, groups are organizing what we call all recovery meetings. And that's, that's a, a meeting where people come together, like at lunchtime or somewhere in the early evening, and it's family members, people using 12 step, people using medication in their recovery, all all meeting together. So the idea of an all recovery group, I don't think 10 years ago there would have been such a thing, you know. And that's mm-hmm. really reflective, I think, of how things are changing. Now, I work in harm reduction in two different organizations. Uh, one is the HAMS Alcohol Harm Reduction, which is the one I founded, uh, which is still very small. And then I've also, for the last six months or so, been working for Lower East Side Harm Reduction Center, which is a traditional syringe exchange. It's been around since 1992. And, well, that kind of pays pays my salary so that I can eat and pay my rent. Um, uh-huh. But uh, so we see at Lower East Side Harm Reduction Center a lot of people, you know, take very small steps towards getting better with their drug use and uh, you know mental health issues are very often co-occurring not always but quite commonly and you know we people you know sometimes the only thing they can do for themselves for the first year or so is just get clean needles and you know they can't engage any beyond that but then eventually that leads to one day they say well, I might want to access more services than this. Can I talk to someone about mental health, about depression, about housing, because I've been homeless for the last 20 years? And, right. you know, so is there is there a place for people that are making these small changes? Well, I think that not only is there a place, I mean, it's really important that, you know, we think about how to support people making those small changes because, um, really what this is all about, and again, this comes to kind of, I think, these shared values, is helping people to manage their lives, to improve their lives, and to improve the quality of their lives. So, you know, I, I really think um, it's fantastic when something like that happens, and providing ways so that people can um, move themselves into, um, you know, a, a a, a better living situation and a more healthy environment and making it and and making it positive. I mean, it's like not we don't want to we don't give up on people. You know, I think that's another shared value is that thinking about you know how to um, help people get to the place where they want to take that next step is is something that we're you know both movements are really invested in. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the, and the, just kind of talking about these recovery community centers again. It's like um, uh, it, that's a place on Main Street where people who need help as well as people who are in recovery coexist, as it were, where it's welcoming, where, you know, where we want to uh, engage people in thinking about and, and acting on, you know, how to take that next step. So 
uh, just for example, online, would people be welcome to submit their stories online if they were, you know, taking small steps? If they maybe weren't in recovery yet, or if they were moderate, if they were moderate drinkers, or if they just taken some small steps towards making a positive change, you know, would they I be welcome? Why, I, I can't see why not. You know, and I, I, I do think though, you know, that there are um, uh, areas in which you know there are. Um, uh, different. Um, I don't know how to put it. Uh, uh, I mean, what what is different um, programs? I guess I guess the best way to describe it. So, uh, for example, I mean, one part for people who are in early recovery, one part of that is not is not being in places where there's alcohol and drugs present. You know, mm-hmm. so no. So you know, someone submitting their story online, I think, would be fabulous as they're talking about. It you know, how they're getting their life back together and what they're doing and things like that. But when you think about programming and um, kind of setting up places where people come together where having alcohol and drugs be there is not a good thing in terms of people especially who are in early recovery. So I think that would be something, uh, you know, where, where there would be differences. Well, I think it's a really important option for people to have, uh, you know, abstinence-only groups that they can go to for support I mean, a lot of people that come to our HAMS harm reduction program, uh, they decide eventually that they want to stop alcohol entirely because they find that's the easiest choice, that's the best choice, that's the choice that works best for them. Um, And, you know, we say, you know, if you want to get involved with Smart Recovery Women for Sobriety, one of these abstinence-only groups, maybe that is a really important uh, part of support that you want to get involved with and you know some of our people will leave our organization because they don't want to be around people that are doing controlled drinking some people stay with our organization and abstain and also get involved with an additional group like smart women for sobriety SOS right right some people actually are totally comfortable abstaining in our group because you know it's all my friends are here and they all support me and they don't tell me you know that this is a group for people to continue drinking because it's not it's a group for people to pursue their own goal. Well, it, absolutely. And so we have this uh, thing on our website, which is called the Guide to Mutual Aid Support. And, and just like everything else in life, it's like finding what works for you, you know. And um, so there are lots of different ways that people can get support. And, um, it, and again, this is what's wonderful, I think, about how things are changing is that there's a recognition that everything doesn't work for everybody and that we have to have choices and helping people to know what those choices are is an important part of our job. So that's partly why we put up this guide to mutual aid so you can kind of scope out what's out there and try something and hopefully it will work and if it doesn't work then there's something else out there that you can check out and, you know, find again, find out what works for you. Well, I was happy I submitted our HAMS harm reduction group a couple years ago, and it was listed then, so I was happy to see that happen. We're listed on your site. Oh, great. Yeah, because, I, you know, as I say, I think we have to help people know that there are choices, and, and that that is, and, you know, and, and, and on some level probably most importantly is saying, you know, if something doesn't work for you, that doesn't mean you're a bad person. You know, it means, like, there's another choice out there that you're going to explore, so... I mean, our, I think our, our we're all committed to um, helping people, you know, really get their lives back on track, and, and so that's part of our mutual, you know, responsibility. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know some people, they try to abstain totally, and what happens is it backfires on them, and they go on these big benders where they uh, do really risky drinking or drug use, and you know, we mm-hmm. kind of say, uh, well, maybe you're not ready to take that step yet into total abstinence. Maybe your first thing you need to think about is safety. So maybe you need to concentrate on harm reduction first, and then maybe you can think about reducing your numbers, your consumption, and maybe you can get to abstinence gradually because jumping in all at once is, is just making you rebel against it and backfiring. And then feeling horrible also is part of all that, you know, mm-hmm. about yourself. And, you know, so it's like, I, as I say, you know, I, I really, I do think it's like helping helping people on this path and uh, meeting people where they're at um, and letting them know about the options that are available so and so that they can, you know, move forward and, and live the fullest life possible. So what are some of the current initiatives and projects that are going on at Faces and Voices of Recovery? Well, one one thing that we just did, which um, we're going to be releasing uh, shortly, is um, we did the first ever survey of people in recovery, and over 3,000 people responded. And, I mean, one of, one of the things that um, we're very uh, concerned about is there's a tremendous investment in the problem, but so little investment in the solution, so mm-hmm. that we... You know, or uh, you know, we know how many you know sixth graders, you know, in your neighborhood smoke marijuana, but we don't know how many you know twelfth graders are in recovery, you know, and how they got there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that um, we, you know, we took this survey for a couple of purposes. One is to find out, you know, what it, the kind of what people's lives were like when they were in active addiction and tracking over time, and what their lives are like now in recovery, uh, both in terms of their you know, their lives, meaning their relationships, uh, their income, their education, and their experiences. And we we hope that, um, you know, our findings will inform policymakers about how important it is to invest in recovery and invest in uh, getting people the help and support they need along their pathway to recovery and also while they're in recovery, and also demonstrate um, how harmful these discriminatory laws are um, so that's one part of the reason that we did the Life and Recovery Survey. The other, the other reason is to hopefully stimulate greater interest on the part of the National Institutes of Health in uh, researching uh, recovery and understand, better understanding recovery so that we can, um, uh, you know, uh, develop an evidence base around some of the peer recovery support services that we know kind of from our hands-on experience are working for people, but we haven't been able to demonstrate it in a way um, that will really encourage investment, both public and private, in um, expanding uh, these effects, we believe, very effective uh, and very cost-effective uh, services across the country. So that's, that's something we're involved in. And then, um, so that will come out in uh, early April. And another initiative that we're involved in is um, there's a young filmmaker called, whose name is uh, Greg Williams, who has been filming all over the country for uh, a new documentary called The Anonymous People. So mm-hmm. we're hosting the screening of that uh, here in D.C. on April 25th. If anyone's interested in finding out more about that, they can go to our website at basesandvoicesofrecovery.org. And it really traces the whole history of the recovery advocacy movement in the U.S., 
including uh, Bill Wilson testifying before Congress um, and uh, other activities of the late Senator Harold Hughes, who founded an organization called the Society of Americans for Recovery, and then up into the uh, contemporary, I guess is how I would describe it, recovery advocacy movement that's happening all across the country. So there are lots of uh, really wonderful interviews with uh, advocates and uh, a lot of uh, filming at these recovery community centers, as well as at like recovery rallies that happen all over the country each uh, September. So uh, part of uh, what we're planning for this September, uh, on September 21 in Providence, Rhode Island, is something called uh, our National Hub Event, our Rally for Recovery. And we're going to be working with uh, groups all across the country to uh, include enrollment and health insurance as part of uh, this year's rally. So um, uh, it's a real opportunity to let people know that they will be eligible for health insurance. Okay. Um, I'm just wondering, uh, is uh, William White involved with uh, this at all? Oh, he's very much involved in Faces and Voices of Recovery and um, in this re recovery rally and other activities. He's in the movie also. Um, so he's very much involved in the work that we're doing. And, um, again, if, if people are interested, they can go to our website at basesandvoicesofrecovery.org to um, sign up for our uh, e-newsletter that comes out every couple weeks. And um, he's just done um, a paper that we're going to have in our next e-newsletter, which uh, really traces the history of recovery advocacy in the U.S. It's kind of a recovery timeline, as it were. Mm -hmm. So um, for, you know, people who are listening who are interested in that, I think that might be um, of great interest. And we have um, many of his papers are posted on our website also. Yeah, we've had William White on the show two times. And, okay. uh, yeah, he's uh, very he's very ethical and very concerned about the ethics of treatment and mm -hmm. also very concerned about uh, science and seeing evidence-based treatment, so he's a very good person to have on board there. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we just love working with him. He's, a, he's an inspiration because of what you're describing. I mean, he's a very um, humble and ethical person who was extremely committed to truly helping people get well. So he's been uh, really involved in the city of Philadelphia where they're kind of transforming all of their, all of their systems and supports and kind of thinking through, you know, how... Again, how how do you how do you um, make what people need when they need it available? I guess is how I think about it. And um, we hit the the biggest recovery rally in the country last year. It was in Philadelphia, where they had eighteen thousand people walking through the streets of Philadelphia. People in recovery, newly in recovery, family members, and others. And uh, William White was at the rally two years ago, and he was like, "It's it's it's just amazing, you know, to see." Uh, kind of a public face of uh, people working together to get well. So he, he's an inspirational guy. Now, you mentioned uh, your survey. Um, and did are you familiar with a survey called What is Recovery that was done by Leon, Leanne Cascutas? Lee Cascutas, yeah. We were, we were, partner, we were partners on that. Mm -hmm. So um, we were helping to, in the sense of, you know, helping to let people know that the survey was available and encouraging people to participate. Yeah, Ham's Harm Reduction was also a partner on that survey, so we got uh, some of our people too talking about their their 
rather non-traditional experiences. Uh huh. I'm sure. And you know, I, I'm I'm very excited. You know, I'm looking forward to finding out. You know, what they found. I think it's going to be a slower rollout of that. And mm-hmm. um, you know, as I was mentioning earlier, you know, we're so concerned about how little federal resources are invested in recovery, and so it's exciting that the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism decided to fund the What Is Recovery survey. It's kind of moving, I think, towards um, some kind of a recovery definition. I think that's part of what may come out of that. Yeah, I know she was uh, very interested in getting you know a very broad range of perspectives right. here. So uh, it should be quite interesting. It should be fascinating. You know, I mean, it's, we know so little about how people get well, and we know so much about how people get sick. <laughs> Well, we're coming to the close of the show now, so what would you like to leave our listeners with tonight? Well, just, uh, you know, I I think this is a great conversation and one that needs to continue, and, uh, you know, anybody who's interested, please go to our website at facesandvoicesofrecovery.org and uh, look forward to uh, working with you. Okay, well, thank you very much for being our guest this evening, Pat Taylor. Thank you, Ken, very much. Okay, good night, everybody, and we will see you next week.